Church, hope you're having a great Sunday. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm the, um, one of the pastors here at First Baptist Jacksonville, and I have the honor of being with you this morning as our lead pastor. Uh, Dr. Derek is off with his family in Kentucky this weekend. Please be, um, be praying for him as he travels back today. But I'm glad to be up here with you today as we continue in the series that we started about a month ago called Finally Free. And in this series, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be spending our time together today is in Galatians chapter 3. And as you saw earlier when we read the text together as a congregation, there is a lot of great truth in the nine verses that we're looking at today. A lot of great truth. Which means we could really look at many different angles and many different themes throughout these nine verses. But for the sake of simplicity uh, and for the sake of time, uh, I'm just going to focus on one. I'm just going to talk about one thing today that, that I hope is very practical, that I hope is very clear, and that I hope enables you to walk out of this room looking more like Jesus and having a greater love for God. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is something that I've struggled with a lot throughout my life. And if I had to guess, I'm not the only person in the room who has. And so we'll walk through these passages together. We'll look at what God has to teach us. And my prayer is it will be for our good, but most importantly, for his glory. So that's where we're going to spend our time together today is in Galatians chapter 3. So one thing they do not tell you when you become a parent is how difficult it's going to be when you decide to potty train your kid. And this summer, I experienced that firsthand when me and my wife thought it would be a good time for us to potty train our oldest son, Ezra. And since we had no idea what we were doing, right, because we forgot to grab that manual when we checked out of the hospital when he was born, um, we decided to do some research online to figure out what would be the best method, what would be the best strategy in getting him to be potty trained. And so through our research, we decided to do the cold turkey method. And what I mean by that is we got talking about diapers one day and then underwear the next. Right? I mean, just cold turkey. We're not going to progress through this thing. We're just going to go from one to the other. Cold turkey. That was how I described it. And so we did it. And, and naturally, there was a slip up off the gate, right? When we started, he had an accident, but that was okay. Um, and then really, to our amazement, for several days, he was doing amazing. Right? And it's either one of those things where you're like, well, either potty training isn't as hard as people think, or maybe I'm just killing it as a parent, right? Like the self-validation moment for me. And so for the first several days, he was doing such a good job. But then about a week or so into this, I knew that his first test was coming. Because on a Wednesday night, we were going to have our small group over. And I knew that for the first time since he started this, he was going to have the opportunity to be distracted by a lot of people. And so I knew this was, this was the moment. This was the true test of my parentness or parenthood or whatever. And so we, we get, the night comes, people start to come over. And so I'm trying to do a really good job of asking him, hey, son, you need to go to the bathroom, right? I'm trying to find ways to see him in the midst of this night to make sure that he's being asked plenty of times, hey, do you need to go to the bathroom so that he can go? And every time I ask him, he says no. Every time I ask him, he says no. And things seem to be going pretty smoothly until all of a sudden, he just starts running to the bathroom screaming, 
right? Screaming that he's got to go, right? So I run there too. Of course, I get there first because I'm the adult. And so, and so we stand there, and he walks in, and as he makes his way in, I look down at his pants, and I realized that it was too late. And they were just soaked. And so for the first time since he started on the day that we started this potty training, he had wet himself. But unfortunately, that wasn't the only thing he did. Because I noticed when he was walking, he was kind of walking funny, right? Never, never a good sign when a toddler walks funny. Never a good sign. And so he walks over to me, a little bit funny. So when I go to change him and I take off his pants, all of a sudden I hear about four thuds hit the floor. (laughs) And (laughs) so he had soiled himself as well. And you better believe who had the joy to clean up that mess was this guy right here. And so, unfortunately, that was not an isolated incident in the sense that we had a lot of problems after that moment. Because what we realized through this process is that potty training is messy. But not always in the physical sense. Not always in the physical sense that we experience on that Wednesday evening in the bathroom. But instead, we realized through this process that potty training is messy relationally as well. Especially between us as parents and our kid, Ezra. Because things would eventually get messy when Ezra refused to listen to us. And he wouldn't go to the bathroom on the potty, no matter how many times we asked him to, or how many toys we promised to give him if he did. And then things got messy after that. When for days, and I promise you I'm not exaggerating, for days he would hold it in. Even though we begged him and borderline yelled at him just to go. And things also got messy when after weeks of seeing little to no progress, we found ourselves getting frustrated at him, being discouraged with ourselves, and just ready to give it all up. And so this summer we realized that the process of potty training is messy. And throughout this process, our relationship with our son saw a lot of ups, but it also saw a lot of downs. And eventually, about about after a messy month and a half, he finally started to get it. We We finally saw some breakthroughs. And then eventually, our relationship with him got a lot better after that. But see, what takes place in that story is something that we've all experienced in our lives and the different relationships that we face. And it's this idea that relationships get messy. And all throughout our lives, we're in these relationships that because of things that happen, because of tension, because of things going on emotionally, things get messy. I mean, things happen that cause friendships and marriages to be strained. That cause people to get frustrated. That cause feelings to get complicated. And that cause those who were once close to eventually become distant. And so when we look all throughout our lives, in our friendships, and in our marriages, and our relationship with our kids, we realize that something is true. We realize that relationships get messy. But this isn't just true in our relationship with other people. This is also true in our relationship with God as well. And in the passage we're looking at today, When Paul is writing to these people, he is writing to them because this is what they've experienced in their lives. 
Paul is writing to them because their relationship with God had gotten messy. And it had gotten messy because when Paul came and originally taught them how to live, they had chosen to live differently. They had not chosen to live the way that Paul taught them to live when they began their relationship with God about a year or so ago when Paul was with them. And because things have gotten messy, Paul is writing to them. And he's writing to them to tell them how they need to change and what they need to do in their lives. And so when Paul starts to write Galatians chapter 3, he uses some really strong language to emphasize how bad the situation really is with these churches in Galatia. So let's begin reading in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 together. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so after Paul calls these Galatians out for being foolish, he asks them a question. And he says, who has bewitched you? And it's interesting that Paul says this. Because the language that Paul uses here shows us that Paul believes that these people have been brainwashed. Brainwashed into believing what they've chosen to believe. Because that word bewitched that you see there is actually usually used to talk about pagan magic. And so essentially what Paul is saying to this church is who has cast you guys under a spell? Who has deceived you into thinking that what you're doing in your relationship with God is right? Who has deceived you into thinking that what is going on in your life is okay after what I taught you earlier? And then after Paul asked this question, he then goes on to talk about why their relationship with God had gotten so messy. And this is what Paul says. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive this spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so what Paul does here is he does a lot of comparing, doesn't he? In the midst of all these questions that Paul is asking, he's comparing different things. He's comparing works of the law with hearing by faith. He's comparing beginning by the Spirit with continuing by the flesh. And so in the midst of all this comparing, Paul is trying to make a point. He's trying to emphasize something when it comes to their relationship with God. And so simply, this is what Paul means when he tells them this in regards to how they're interacting and in regards to their relationship with Jesus. He is saying if it begins by believing, it doesn't continue by rule following. Right? That's the point that Paul is trying to make here. He's saying when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, if it begins by believing, then it doesn't continue by rule following. Because that's what they thought. That's how they'd been deceived. Because these Judaizers, these people that we've been talking about throughout this book, who have tricked and deceived and brainwashed these people, made them believe that their belief in Jesus or their faith in Jesus 
wasn't enough. Instead, they had to follow all these Old Testament regulations, these Old Testament laws, these rules that were laid out in the Hebrew Bible. Rules like sacrificing daily, or rules like not being able to eat certain meats. And so because of that, these believers at this church started to think something. They started to think the way they became close with God was by following these rules. They started to think this is how they had a close relationship with God. And so even though the relationship with God began by believing, even though it began by them receiving the Spirit, they felt like they had moved past that. And they felt like they had gone past that point in their life. And so what had happened is they had forgotten Jesus. Instead, they were focusing on themselves. They were focusing on what they needed to do on their own, what they needed to do in the flesh in order for God to be proud of them or for God to be happy with them. And so they began living their life in a certain way that focused on the rules. And this was the huge mistake that they made. And this is why Paul was calling them out. Because they were following rules, but they were forgetting Jesus. They were following rules in their lives, but they were forgetting Jesus, the one who had saved them. And that's why Paul is writing to them, and that's why Paul is using such strong language to talk about what's going on in their life. And unfortunately, as we sit here today, thousands of years later, we can find ourselves believing the same thing. We can find ourselves falling into the same mindset. Because even though we know that we don't need to follow Old Testament regulations in order to be saved, even though we understand that we don't have to do sacrifices and eat certain meat in order to have a salvation that God has given us, we do make the mistake of thinking that even though our relationship with God begins by believing, that it has to continue by rule following. And what I mean by that is we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. We understand that we are saved by believing. But if we are honest with ourselves, we think that the reason that we are close with God now is because we follow the rules. We think that we're close with God now because we don't break the Ten Commandments. We think that we're close with God now because we don't live like that person that we know across the street. And we think that we're close with God now because even though we have the option to do all those sinful things in our lives, we chose not to do them. And because of that, we have fallen under a mindset. And the mindset that says we are close with God because we follow the rules. And when we find ourselves thinking that, without even realizing that, and not even knowing what we're doing, we find ourselves being like so many people before us who made the same mistake. People like the young rich ruler. Because if you remember that story, the young rich ruler did a phenomenal job of following the rules. When he is dialoguing with Jesus and they are talking and Jesus asks him, have you followed these Ten Commandments? He's like, yes, I have. I've done those since I was a youth. But even though he followed the rules, 
he wasn't close with God. And so what he shows us is just because we follow the rules doesn't make us close with God. And then eventually he leaves. Because even though he followed the rules, he decided to forget about Jesus. And when we do this in our lives, this is when things get so messy. Because things get messy in our lives. We find ourselves doing what the church at Galatia did. And we allow rules to replace relationships. When we let rules replace relationships. Because that's what was happening here. They had allowed following rules to replace the relationship that they had with God. And when we find ourselves pursuing the things in our life that we know we should do, when we find ourselves focusing on all the things that we do right and not pursuing the God who died for us, then we can have the tendency to do the same thing. We can have the tendency in our lives to follow rules, but as we do that, we can forget Jesus. And we can think that the reason that we're close with God is because of what we do and because of how we pursue the things in our life. And so like the people at this church, we can let rules replace relationships. We can let following the rules replace a genuine relationship with God. But whenever we find ourselves thinking that following the rules is the primary thing that God wants from us, we have to remember the important role that Jesus plays in our lives. We have to remember the essential role that Jesus plays in our salvation. And when Paul continues to write this letter to this church, he reminds them that the foundation of our faith has always been Jesus. Because listen to what he says starting in verse 7. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What Paul is saying here is absolutely amazing. Because what he says is that when Abraham believed God, right? When Abraham, the man of faith, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which he talks about in verse 6, he mentions how God in that moment tells him that one day a descendant of his will come. And it is through that descendant that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so what Paul tells us here is that God preaches the gospel to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus comes. 2,000 years before Jesus ever steps into this earth, God tells Abraham that the reason that the earth will be blessed is because I will send a descendant of yours to make sure that happens. And we know as the storyline of the Bible folds out that God did what he promised he would do. God did send someone to bless all the nations of the earth. And when that person came, he lived a perfect life. Fully obeying the rules. The way that we never could. 
And then he goes on the cross and dies in our place as our substitute so that we would never have to. And then after three days, he raises from the grave so that our sins could be forgiven. So they could be removed as far as the east is from the west. And so that we could know and love and be close with God. And so Paul reminds us here of something that is so important for our Christian life. He reminds us, the reason we are blessed isn't because we follow the rules. The reason we are blessed is because Jesus perfectly did. And because Jesus perfectly followed the rules, he can now offer us a a relationship with God. He can now offer us salvation if we believe and have faith the way that Abraham did. If we choose to believe in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what this means is that when Jesus came to this earth, he did everything possible so that we could be close with God. He did everything possible so that we could know God and and God could be proud of us and that God could love us. We aren't blessed because of what we do. We are blessed because of what Jesus has done. And so what that means is if our salvation is always based on the finished work of Jesus, if it's always based yesterday, today, and forever on what Jesus did on the cross, then what that means is that your relationship with God is always based on what Jesus did for you. The reason we are children of God, the reason we are close with God is because of what Jesus did in our place. And because Jesus took care of our sin and because he removed it as far as the east is from the west, we can stand here today forgiven, loved, and accepted. Not because we follow the rules, but because Jesus did. And that is the amazing truth of the gospel. And that's why we say we are saved by grace through faith and that we live the Christian life by grace through faith. And what this means for our relationship with God is groundbreaking. Because what this means is that when we follow Jesus, we don't focus on the rules. Instead, when we follow Jesus, we focus on loving Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we focus on loving Jesus. And when we do, everything else takes care of itself. Everything else will take care of itself in our life in regards to us living our life the way that God has called us to. Because Jesus even says in John 14, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what Jesus means when he says that is if you love me, then naturally you're going to live for me. If you love me, then naturally you're going to look at scripture and you're going to want to live it out in a way that causes you to look more like Jesus. It means that naturally we're going to spend time praying to God because we want to spend time with somebody who loves us deeply. And it means naturally we're going to treat others the way that we want to be treated because that's the way that Jesus treated us. And so what we see is that we focus on loving Jesus and following Jesus. And then our Christian life takes care of itself. Because now the motivation for us to do stuff changes. Because it's it's not now I do this because I want to be close with God. Now it's I do this because I am close with God. 
because Jesus has removed my sin, and now I'm loved and accepted and forgiven, and God is proud of me, and God is happy with me, not because I follow the rules, but because Jesus did everything possible. And now our heart to obey the commands of Jesus becomes one of someone who is madly in love with Jesus and just wants to live out what he's called us to do. And so that's what we have to remember. And that's the beauty of what we see in this passage. So as we wrap up, here's my encouragement to you. Here's my challenge to you. Right, so often we get caught in following the rules. But when we find ourselves following the rules, we can find ourselves forgetting Jesus. We can find ourselves getting so caught up in doing that we don't spend time loving the God who did everything possible to save us. And so instead of following the rules and forgetting Jesus, we were called to do something else. We were called to do something else in our life, and what that is is that we follow Jesus and we forget the rules. We focus on following Jesus in our lives. We focus on loving him. We focus on pursuing the relationship that he has allowed us to have because of everything that he has done on the cross. And then through that, we live a life that honors him. We follow Jesus and we forget the rules. Because see, that was the mistake of the young rich ruler. The young rich ruler didn't choose to follow Jesus. Instead, he just kept sticking to his rules. And so let's not make the same mistake in our lives. Let's focus on following Jesus. Let's focus on loving Jesus. And then let's allow everything else to take care of itself. Let's allow our hearts to be changed so that we naturally live for Jesus. The way that he's called us to. In a way that honor God. In a way that points people to a God who did everything possible to save us. So that's my challenge for us today. Let's follow Jesus and forget the rules. Let's love God and let everything else take care of itself.